Well, I would like to direct our attention this afternoon to uh, James chapter 1 once again. James chapter 1, and this will be the last time that we consider James chapter 1 together. We're looking at the last two verses, verses 26 and 27. I'll just remind, our, remind ourselves very quickly that chapters 20, uh, chapter 1, verses 26 and 27 fit within a larger context of chapter 1, verses 19 through 27. Now, I won't read those again since we did read them this morning. I want to call our attention to verses 26 and 27, though. Uh, if any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, I have a visual aid for us this afternoon here. Margarine was supposedly invented in France in, in 1870. And then, then after, man has spent the last 140 years trying to perfect margarine. And so you go to the grocery store today and you look for margarine and you got country crock and you got all this. But you know what sits in the middle of all the margarine, of all these margarines that are out there? I can't believe it's not butter. So what is the goal of margarine? The goal of margarine is obviously to get to the point where it looks and tastes just like butter. Now you ask why this history lesson? What does this have to do with the book of James? Well, that's a very good question. There are these two verses that I just read are asking us this question. Is your religion margarine or butter? You see, man invented artificial religion in the Garden of Eden about 6,000 plus or minus years ago. 6,000, 8,000, uh, no use in quibbling over the number precisely. But roughly 6,000, 8,000 years ago, man invented artificial religion in the Garden of Eden. And he's been trying ever since that day to perfect it. Genesis chapter 3, 1 through 6, very familiar verses say this. Now the servant was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God hath made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the, unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, and neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. That, my friends, is the beginning of artificial religion. Man's substitute for the religion that God has instituted. Now, the first thing that I'd like to do as our consideration is to consider that word religion. How many times do you see the word religion used in those three verses? Two ver excuse me, two verses. So how many times, James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, how many times do we see the word religion in there? Three times, three times. What does the word religion mean to you? Boy, that's a lot of silence, isn't it? <laughs> Something that people practice. Not necessarily Christianity. You're helping me out here a lot, by the way. Practice on a regular basis. What else? It's one of those words that's kind of hard to define, like politics, right? Politics is one of those words you know it when you see it, but it's kind of hard to define. Religion is another one of those words that's kind of difficult to define, but you know it when you see it. You know it when you see it, both in its pure form, its butter form, and in its margarine form. Well, it's interesting that that's Greek word, threskia, it's apart from its use three times here in James, it's only used two other times in the New Testament. One time, it is speaking about the religion of the Jews. 
The other time is talking about how angels worship. Now, we have in James this word, the use of the word religion, but James gives us a little help because James doesn't just call it religion. Look very closely there at verse 27. There are two words that James uses to describe this particular religion that he's talking about. And what are those two words? Pure and undefiled. Now, Glenn, since you, since you came right up with that, what do those two words mean, pure and undefiled? Do they mean the same thing, and what do they mean? They, they, they are fairly synonymous. You, you are correct there. Pure is, literally means clean. When, uh, remember in the story, in the book of Acts where the sheet comes down from heaven and, and God says to Peter, rise, kill and eat, and God said not, and Peter says not so God, then it ends up there, what God has declared clean, same word, same word. So it, it literally means, it literally means acceptable for religious purposes. In this case, acceptable to God for religious purposes. Undefiled really means uncontaminated. And they, so it carries a very similar idea, clean, Clean and undefiled. They're very similar words. That is how we know that this particular religion that James is talking about here in James chapter 1 is not the Jewish religion and it's not false religion, that it is what we would consider to be the true Christian religion. Now that we have that word out of the way, we can now begin to, we can now begin to look at margarine and butter. Margarine and butter. In other words, what, uh, what are some of the characteristics of artificial religion, and then what are some characteristics of pure, undefiled religion? Now, first of all, we'll start with the dangers of artificial religion. Uh, verse 26. Read verse 26 with me here. If any man among you seem to be religious, and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, notice we haven't got to the part talking about pure religion and undefiled religion, right? In this case, in this part of the passage, verse 26, the religion here is of the margarine variety. How do we know that? We'll just look at the last few words. How is this religion described? It is vain. It's vain. It is worthless. And so we know verse 26 is not talking about the Christian religion. I hope everybody in here would agree with me that the Christian, the, the Christian religion has worth, that it is not vain. I'm hoping, I'm hoping I see a lot of people nodding heads. If not, you're all wasting your time. And you might, as Paul would say in 1 Corinthians 15, you're more, you would, you'd be better off just going home if you don't believe that the Christian religion that we're in here discussing today has worth. But anyway, this verse is first is talking about the artificial religion, the margarine type religion. And the first thing that I want you to notice about this artificial religion is that it has no reality. It has no reality. Notice the phrase, uh, if you're reading the ESV, the phrase is, thinks he is religious. If you're reading the King James Version, you see the words, seems to be religious. I liken this as to a, a one-man play with no audience. Now, think with me along those lines for a minute. Do we know stories in the Bible about people who seemed to be religious but really weren't? Mm -hmm. Right, yeah. Right, they, they lied to the Holy Spirit. Ananias and Sapphira seemed to be religious. They looked like they were giving large sums of money from the sale of a, all their property, all the money for all the property, yet God determined that they were lying to the Holy Spirit and struck them down for it. That's a good example. Others, Saul, right? Saul, the King Saul of the Old Testament, 
Judas, very good. That's, that's a great one there. Uh, Judas, uh, one of the twelve, chosen by Jesus, yet not one of, yet not one of you the devil. Looked to be religious, entrusted with the money. Seemed to be religious. What about others? What? Demas, Demas hath, Demas hath deserted us, lover of this world rather than lover of things of God. Right, yeah, Simon Magus, in, in, Simon called Magus in the, in the book of Acts, wanted to buy the power of the Holy Spirit, wanted the power of religion, but not the responsibility, accountability, not the relationship that comes with it. Uh, I think, uh, just to bring some verses in here, I think Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5 talk about that in some detail. Second Timothy 3, 1 through 5 says this, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God. And if I stopped right there, you would say, well, that doesn't sound like a religious person. Does that sound like a religious person to you? What? <laughs> yeah. Does it sound like someone that you want to look religious? What? They may try to. Well, but all those acts are not the acts of, of, of someone you portray as religious, right? Yeah. But what's the next words? Having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. From such, turn away. The, the, the thing that we want to look at here is not whether somebody says they're religious or not. It's the fruit of their lives. And a lot of people who claim to be religious have all this, I think this is what you're saying, have all this fruit in their lives, all this unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, so forth and so on. Uh, and what, how does Paul sum it up? They have a form of godliness. In other words, external. They may say they're religious. They may look religious. They may be showing up to church on Sunday. But they deny the power of godliness. So, yeah, sure. Their name for being alive, but you are dead. Exactly. They looked religious, but no power. Was not pure. Was not undefiled. How about some more? I still have some more here, so I'm giving you a chance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, another great example. How about the Pharisees? Anybody remember Matthew 23? What's Matthew 23? The condemnation of the Pharisees. Here's just a few verses out of Matthew 23. This is 25 through 28. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Thou blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and the platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. That is artificial religion, appearing like appearing religious on the outside, but the heart tells a different matter. And so point number one there, artificial religion lacks reality. Point number, any others? Obviously, I exhausted mine, so we're going to move on to point number two unless somebody else has something more. All right, well, point number two, the second thing that we see, artificial religion, religion of the margin of variety, lacks restraint. Look at verse 26 again. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now, the reality of your religion is going to show in your speech. 
We talked about that at length last week in here. Uh, Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 through 20 say this. Do not ye do not ye yet understand that whatsoever entereth in at the mouth goeth into the belly and is cast out into the draught. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart, and they defile the man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adultery, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands defileth not a man. Our religion, whether it is margarine, or whether it's butter, whether it is artificial or pure and undefiled, comes out in the way we talk. James is going to come back to the same thing again down in chapter 3. Look down at James chapter 3. The major theme of the first part of James chapter 3 is what? It's the tongue. James is going to come back to this again and again. I believe James is using this example of the tongue over and over again as a typical case. Now, could James have said something different? Could he have said... Uh, something that if any man among you seem to be religious but doesn't control his body, he could have said that, right? There are any number of things. I believe that James keeps coming back to this idea of the tongue over and over again as a typical case. But why? Why come back to the tongue over and over again? Tongue's like a fire. Yeah, absolutely. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The tongue is a flame of fire. It is set on, it is, it sets fires and it is set on fire by the flame of hell is what James would say. We do a lot of talking. Yeah. We do a lot of talking. Yeah. Uh, and I believe John that you are getting to where I was headed is everybody, and I'm talking, I'm talking universally, everybody can be known by their speech, what comes out of their mouth. If, you know, there's any number of ways that you can judge the fruit of a person. Perhaps the first way and perhaps the best way is the fruit that comes out of their mouth. And I think that's why James goes back to this idea of the tongue over and over and over again. Now, something that I found very interesting. Uh, uh, well, second, other thing on the tongue is this evidence that is very easy to see. You don't have to look long and hard at a person before you see what they are based on what comes out of their mouth. It's very easy evidence to see. Now, second, and this is something that I, that I found very interesting. There's that word in the King James Version of the Bible that says bridleth or bridles. It's a present participle. In fact, there are four verb forms in verses 26 and 27 that are either present participles or present infinitives. Bridleth, deceiveth, to visit, and to keep. Now, you say, why this grammar lesson? Why this grammar lesson? Because in every case, the present tense form of these verbs indicates a continuous action. It's not present as in the here and now. The present tense forms of these verbs indicate a continuous action. So let me just read, and I may have printed this in your outline. Let me just read verses 26 and 27 with this in mind. If any man among you seem to be religious and does not continually bridle his tongue, but continues to deceive his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to continually visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to continually keep himself unspotted from the world. And the idea is not that a Christian sometimes does not sin. A Christian will sin. First uh, John chapter 1 tells us that. But the idea is that the Christian is in a continual manner bridling their tongue. You can't say, oh, I did that once last week. I held my tongue once last week. I'm good. You cannot say that I went and visited the widows and the orphans three years ago. I must be good. 
is continual action. It is a pattern of life action that we're talking about here. All right. Any thoughts on that before we go forward? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Verse 22 says, uh, uh, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving your own selves. And then verse 26, uh, what we're talking about now, but deceiveth his own heart. So yes, it is an element of self-deception. And I think I actually have that next here. So that, yeah, I've got more on that one. Anybody else? All right, so what have we seen so far? We've seen, first of all, that artificial religion lacks uh, reality. We've seen that it lacks restraint, restraint. And then third, artificial religion deceives. And that's what Glenn, and Glenn was talking about up here just a second ago. Verse 26, one more time. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. The deception here, and this is what I have written, by the way, Glenn, the deception here is self-deception. There is no external influence. There is no false teacher involved. It is self-deception. This person has deceived themselves, their own heart, with their artificial religion. And that's what I see here. I don't, I don't see the deception coming in from the outside world. I see this person, the person with the artificial religion, has deceived themselves. Uh, consider the words of Jesus uh, in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 to 23. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, and listen to the self-deception, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? Do you see the self-deception? And then I, Jesus, will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, Ye that work iniquity. So that's the that's the idea of self self deception. All right. Any thoughts on that? All right. Well, the fourth characteristic of artificial or marginal religion, it lacks fruit. Artificial religion lacks fruit. Look at verse twenty six one more time. If any man among you seem to be religious and bridleth not his tongue, but deceiveth his own heart, this man's religion is vain. Now. Some of you in here probably have a different translation. It doesn't say vain. It says useless. What counts for nothing? Any others? Worthless. Uh, that's that's what the ESV says. Worthless. Uh, the word literally has uh, several meanings. Some of the literal meanings are very are very telling. Fruitless, barren, non-productive. Uh, now I'll ask you a question. Does artificial religion have its rewards? Yeah, what are what are, what are the rewards of artificial religion? I'll take us to some verses in a minute, but I'll let you I'll let y'all think about it first. What are some rewards of artificial religion? Praise of men. That's that's exactly where I'm headed in just a, in just a minute here. What else? Yeah, it gives you an idea, a sense of purpose, self satisfaction, self gratification, money. Money is often yeah related to it, especially for the one that teaches false religion. Belonging, a sense of belonging to a club. All right, well, I want to go back to the the idea of false religion has its reward in being seen by men. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, tell us this. Uh, Jesus here in Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6, is going to contrast the rewards of artificial religion with the fruit of pure religion. And I, I, I said a couple of words there with emphasis on purpose. The rewards of artificial religion versus the fruit of pure religion. Matthew chapter 6, verses 1 through 6. This is Jesus, again, Sermon on the Mount, speaking to the crowds. 
Take heed that ye do not do your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise ye have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou dost thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth, that thine alms may be in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. And when thou prayest, Thou shalt not be as the hypocrites are, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and in the corners of the streets, that they may be seen of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But thou, when thou prayest, enter into thy closet, and when thou hast shut thy door, pray to thy Father which is in secret, and thy Father which seeth in secret shall reward thee openly. Do you see the difference? God does not honor artificial religion. Why not? Well, for many reasons, but one of the reasons is because the reward has already been given to be seen of men, to be praised of men. Now, there are other reasons, of course, but that's what Jesus is pointing out here, is that God the Father is offering no reward for this artificial religion because the reward has already been given. The work has been done, and the pay has been received. But when you give and nobody knows you're giving, and when you pray and nobody knows you're praying, God then is the one who gives the reward. All right. Well, that's that's the nature of margarine religion. That is the nature of artificial religion that we see here. Now, before I before we go on to talk about pure and undefiled religion, I want to stop right there for a second and see if anybody has anything that you want to add about artificial religion in general. See, uh, uh, Ellen, go ahead. Well, that's a very good question. You know, I probably haven't thought about that quite enough. And because as you were saying that, I say, well, you know, people that practice artificial religion do deceive other people. And so I'm thinking that may not have been an entirely accurate statement. Uh, I think it ultimately rests, the responsibility of the deception rests upon the person being deceived because they have allowed themselves to be deceived. But but I think that your, your question is probably accurate in that there are agents of deception that can influence a person. I think you are right. What? Yeah, Satan is the father of lies, and his uh, he masquerades as an angel of light. That is a form of his deception. Yeah. Steve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I think the inference that we get from Matthew chapter six one through six is the reward uh, of the hypocrite is in the here and now, versus the reward of the righteous, the one who gives in secret, the one who prays in secret. Just as, and those are just typical examples, by the way. But the one who does that, the reward is deferred and is much grander. And then I also think that you are pro- you're correct when you say those that are rewarded in the here and now are not going to be recipients of that future reward, and the, so therefore the consequences are dire. The consequences of having no future reward are dire indeed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. Anybody else? Yeah. For lesser of the poor in spirit, for theirs. Well, some of them are in the here because theirs, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But uh, as you get on farther down, the shall be in future tense comforted. Yeah. And 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 I, and I was actually studying that sometime earlier in the last couple of weeks about about how the how it goes how the Sermon on the Mount is has current day 
blessings and future future blessings as well. Mm-hmm. Right, right, exactly. Mm-hmm. Right, yeah. In fact, like First Corinthians chapter five, verse six, where it talks about their view of this man who was caught in the sin. You're glorying, and talking about glorying and the fact that he was doing that. Your glorying is not good. Know ye not that a little leaven leaven the whole lump? Purge out therefore the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, and that you as ye are unleavened. For even Christ our Passover sacrificed for us. Yeah, so, right, so that, that one, one person with artificial religion was causing problems with the entire congregation. That's what I think, that, that's what you're saying there. Others? Alright, so, having, uh, gone over artificial or margarine based religion, we can now turn our attention to verse 27 and we can study the character of pure and undefiled religion. James 1.27 says this, Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, three things that I want you to notice in these verses about pure and undefiled religion. And and they they are all directional in nature. And I'll just go ahead and give them all to you now and then we'll go back and talk about them. First of all, pure and undefiled religion is oriented toward God. Not toward man, but toward God. Second of all, Pure and undefiled religion is oriented toward others and not toward self. And now if you're ready for me to talk out of the other side of my mouth, is pure and undefiled religion is oriented toward ourself and not toward others. In a completely different sense. Thank you. You're, you, you, see, you, you see where I'm headed. Where I'm headed is, in the second sense, oriented away from ourself and toward others. It is oriented in having compassion and mercy upon other people and not seeking our own comfort. Oriented toward ourselves means we're looking for ourselves and our personal holiness and our personal fleeing from sin and not spending all of our time pointing out the sins of other people. I'm not saying we shouldn't be pointing out the sins of other people, but there are people who make a hobby, a pastime, and an occupation about finding sins in other people without ever looking at the sins in their own lives. So, first of all, pure religion is oriented toward God, not toward man. Pure religion is oriented toward others and not ourselves and pure religion is oriented toward ourselves and not toward others now we'll flesh that out of here a little bit and hopefully it'll clear it up uh so first of all how do we know that pure and undefiled religion is oriented toward god how do we know that okay the verse says that how does it say that before god and the father is this so before we go in on any farther and trying to determine what pure and undefiled religion is we first of all have to say what is the first modifier? Pure and undefiled religion. What's the first modifier? Before God and the Father. And then we're going to get into the definition. But it is by definition before God and the Father. Now, what that means is that pure and undefiled religion is not oriented primarily toward men. It is oriented primarily toward God. And I'll make the point very clearly. Can I go help widows and orphans in a wrong manner? Yes. Yeah. That, that's a great example. I love that example. First Corinthians 13. I can give my body to be burned and have not love. It is, it is worth nothing. That's a great example. Great example. Yeah. We call it philanthropy. You know, we can think of names sitting in here today of people who have given gobs and gobs of money to help the poor and the starving, and it's worth nothing in terms of eternal security and eternal reward. Now, before we go on, there's just there's one little technical manner that, that matter that we need to clear up. If you're reading the King James Version of the Bible, something looks a little weird here, doesn't it? 
before God and the Father. Anybody notice that? Anybody, anybody notice that? Is that talking about two different people, God and the Father? Nobody cares, right? Okay. Well, let me let me tell you anyway. Uh, the there there, what? No, no. Actually, he's not. And you'll appreciate this when I tell you. Tell you that the word in there that gets translated "and" is the Greek word "kai." Kai has a lot more meanings than the word "and." It can mean even. It can be also. It can be namely. And so we can just read this verse either uh, way. A better translation would say God, even the Father, or God, namely the Father. Another version renders like this, our God and Father. Not talking about two different people, talking about one person, God, namely, even our Father. So uh, just in case you were concerned that I was talking about two different people, it's not. Yeah, all right. Now, a verse we covered a little bit earlier that I want to bring back into this is the scribes and Pharisees attacked Jesus by claiming that he was an illegitimate child, but that they were children of Abraham. Jesus answered them this way in John eight forty four: Ye are of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and bowed not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Now, what I want you to remember is who did Jesus speak that to? The Pharisees. Somebody tell me something about the Pharisees. Jewish religious leaders. What? Margin. Very good. They're, they're margin. Jesus is saying this to the most outwardly religious people of his day. And what does he say? You are of your father, the devil. They had obviously missed a crucial element of pure and undefiled religion. What is that crucial element? Were they living right? Outwardly, yes, they were living right. But what's the first point? Pure and undefiled religion is, first of all, before God the Father. See, it doesn't matter how religious you are if you skip that first step. The Pharisees skip that first step. All right? Anybody? If I pause, that means jump right in. So if I don't pause, jump in anyway. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, it, 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 I don't remember exactly where it said either, but it's not just once that, that it talks about that. They didn't deliver him up because they desired to keep their religion pure and undefiled. They delivered him up because he was a threat to their religion. That's a, I believe that's going to be in John John chapter 19, where right after right after Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, they said, you know, the Romans are going to come, they're going to take away our place. They didn't care about the undefiled religion. They cared about losing their their place. That may be John 19. Maybe maybe right before John. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. Anybody else? Well, now second, we've determined the first and foremost that a pure and undefiled religion, but a religion is oriented toward God. But the second thing that we want to see in verse 27 is that it is oriented toward others and not toward ourselves. Look at verse 27 again. Pure and undefiled. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Now, the phrase that I'm concentrating on at this point is the phrase that says, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction. I believe what we see here is that pure and undefiled religion, but a religion, gives a person a heart of compassion. Orphans and widows, in this case, are illustrative. In other words, a pure religion... Yes, it involves visiting widows and orphans and a lot of other similar things. How do I know that? 
Well, I'll take you first of all, and I'll, I'll ask you the question after I take you here. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 to 40. And, and just listen to how this is expanded. This is Jesus talking. When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divideth his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, Come ye blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. How does he describe them? Verse 35, For I was hungered, and ye gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord, when saw we thee, and hungered, and fed thee, or thirsty, and gave thee drink? When saw we thee, a stranger, and took thee in, or naked, and clothed thee? Or when saw we thee, sick, or in prison, and came unto thee? And the king shall answer and say unto them, Verily I said unto you, say unto you, Inasmuch as you have done it unto the least of these my brethren, ye have done it unto me. Do you see the expansion of the idea of widows and orphans there? The sick, those in prison, those who are hungry, those who are thirsty. If, uh, the idea that James has here is the idea of compassion upon other people. Now, uh, are there any thoughts about that? I've got i got several different uh, cross-references here, but, uh, I, but instead of me going through them, I'll, I'll let you add some if you want to add some. If not, I'm going to go ahead and go to the last point. Sometimes we can go through the Yeah, and it probably has a lot more than just widows. Working with orphans or having compassion upon the hungry, uh, I think all of those things that the person who's doing the act is just as blessed as the person that's receiving the act. And that may be a little bit what we're talking about this morning, that when you're not a hearer of the word only, but a doer of the word, you will be blessed in your doing. I think that may be what that's talking about there. You know, feeding the hungry is a blessing to the hungry, but it's a blessing to the one who feeds the hungry as well. Better to give than to receive. Paul would, Paul would say that in Acts chapter 20, I do believe, yeah. quoting Jesus Christ. Yeah, you're exactly right. Very good, Herman. Very good point. Anybody else? Well, let's look at the last point. Pure and undefiled religion, but a religion is oriented toward ourself, not in a vain, self-serving way. Pure and undefiled religion is oriented toward ourself to show us how to live holy lives and pleasing lives before God. Verse 27, one more time. Pure religion and undefiled before God and the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and widows in their affliction and to keep himself unspotted from the world. That's the last phrase that we want to look at, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. Allow me to put the statement in the negative. Pure and undefiled religion is oriented away from the world. Away from the world. Uh, somebody flip over, well, let's flip over to James 4.4. It's only a page away, so look over at James 4.4. Ye adulterers and adulteresses, know ye not that friendship of the world, the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whosoever, therefore, will be a friend of the world is the enemy of God. Now, some discussion questions for you. What does it mean to be spotted by the world? Some of your versions use the word polluted, stained. What does that mean? To do what? A mark that you're a part of the world, one of the world? Yeah, you could. Yeah. What would you say? Yeah, earth center. Mm-hmm. Right. We're sitting in the seat of scoffers. Yeah. 
but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on the you know, on that law he meditates day and night. Yeah. So yeah, having lost salt and light, living after the flesh, not after the spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and in that same area, maybe in that same passage, is what fellowship does light have with darkness? What symphony is there between Christ and Belial? Yeah. All right. Well, the second part of that discussion question is this: How do you keep from being spotted by the world? Yeah, that's Second Corinthians seven one. I do believe in it. Or yes, I think it's seven one. Come out from them. Oh, it's come out. Well, yeah. Yeah, it is right before it. I'm, there's another verse that's seven one that comes, that's part of that same thought, but it is, that is right before. Come out from them. Well, how else? Be washed by the blood of Christ. In fact, it, it would it, it, it's easy to say that Christians sometimes may sin, be spotted by the world, but a Christian will never be permanently spotted by the world because they are washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. Yeah, yeah, and. and we need to learn to be discerning. Mm-hmm. Yeah, whatsoever things are of good report. So, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Steve? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. You, you, you know, you, you bring to mind a passage that, that I think that addresses this question exactly, and it's going to be over in John chapter 12, I do believe. I'm going to find it here. John chapter 12. Uh, no, excuse me, John chapter 13. You remember the story of uh, Jesus washing the disciples' feet? And remember what happens when he comes to Peter? Uh, then he cometh, and this is John chapter 13, beginning in verse 6. Then cometh he to Simon Peter, and Peter saith unto him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? Jesus answered and said unto him, What I do thou knowest not now, but thou shalt know hereafter. Peter saith unto him, Thou shalt never wash my feet, Jesus. Thou shalt never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. Simon Peter saith unto him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed... Needeth not to save, needeth not save to wash his feet, but is clean every whit. Ye are clean, but not all of you. And he's talking about Judas there, that last thing. But what did, what did he say? Jesus says, you're washed. Your head and your hands have been washed. You only have need to have your feet washed. And I think that's what you're saying, Steve, is once you are washed in the blood of the Lamb, you are clean. But there is spotting that comes from the world. And what does Jesus say do? You need to have your feet washed. Every once in a while, you need to have that confession and that repentance of, put, of putting those, that, those 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 temporary spots that come into the come into our life off. Well, just a couple of verses, and then I'll have my part finished up. First John chapter two, verses fifteen to seventeen, very familiar verses. First John chapter two, verses fifteen to seventeen. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. So uh, that closes the last point about, about pure and undefiled religion is oriented toward ourself and teaching us to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. All right. Any other thoughts? That was, uh, uh, 
I believe that what led to that was the question is, how can we avoid becoming spotted by the world? And the answer, I believe, is we can't avoid. All Christians will be spotted in a temporary fashion on occasion. We might in that fashion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and I and I think that that's the goal of the Christian is to run the race in such a way as to limit the times that we get spotted by the world. Mm-hmm. Very good. Probably heard that thing, but if we're busy, be corrupt. Yeah, yeah, and, and I believe that's true as long as we're not busy, just to be busy or to bring glory unto ourselves. And then that's why I'm, that's why I, that's why I made the point very clear is things must be in the right order. Pure and undefiled religion is first and foremost before God. Otherwise, a compassion to others is nothing but philanthropy. It it has no reward, no eternal reward. All right. Anybody else? What? Point two. Point two. Very good. Let's see what point two was. Uh, the point two is the character of pure and undefiled religion, and that's covered the. Uh, Covered the three aspects of verse 27. Oriented toward God, oriented toward others, and oriented toward ourselves. Anybody else? Would anybody like to close us in prayer today? What? You want to do it, Glenn? Good, good. Go right ahead.